0: It's six days since we had that race. Yes, that race. And whilst we weren't planning of doing any content at all, I am going to be joined by an old friend of the show, Michael Laminato from Box of Neutrals. G'day there. My name is James Baldwin and welcome to another episode of Lakeside Drives F1 Podcast. In this episode, we are chatting because we have to get it off our chest because we've been speaking about it for days and days and days and the 40 hours it took us to get from Australia to the UK about what the bloody hell happened at Abu Dhabi. G'day everyone. This is a, probably a different voice if you're yes. listening to this on Box of Neutrals, but if you're listening to this on Lakeside Drive, let me tell you this, I'm joined mm. by my friend and yours, Michael Laminado. My name is James Baldwin. How you doing, mate? Good. Do I have to do an intro now as well? Yes. No, we're just going to use the same intro, I If think. this is Box of
1: Neutrals, good day. Today, if it's all voice, also you're look- hearing is not Peter McGinnis, <laughs> <laughs> tragic, isn't it? Go to manscaped.com, 20% off with the code word box of neutrals. That's I don't uh, know if I'll get paid for that one, unfortunately, <laughs> but I can hope.
0: Look, I can't offer similar, so maybe hmm. look, maybe go to Lakeside Drive uh, <laughs> and uh, put in box of neutrals for 20% yes. off merchandise wow. uh, for only one day. That gonna, and it. the day was
1: the day we're recording, which was at least several days earlier. <laughs> when you're hearing this. You're got you on a technicality. You've
0: got to read the rule books. <laughs> sorry for your loss in advance. Uh, well, everyone, look, good to be with you. Uh, Michael mm. and I, if you don't know, are sitting in Dorset in the United Kingdom mm. for Extreme E. They've brought us all the way over to freezing, freezing, muddy, muddy Dorset.
1: Yes. COVID central, <laughs> it's, it's as no, it's known. It's I not passed so good. The, so we passed a sign on the way in, they were changing it. Just <laughs> so <sorry>, everyone knew... <laughs>
0: Uh, but we thought, look, we've, we've spent all this time together for the last couple of days transiting from Australia mm. and really on two hours sleep from what was a interesting race, as we all said, uh, to, to really talk about this in depth for such a long period of time. We thought we should probably put our thoughts into a podcast format. Yes. So, all of you, because we're both white men in our 30s. Yes. <laughs> um, I was even going to have a stab at Rob to say, look, at least I watched the race, but he, he actually did. watched the race as well. So well done to him. Uh, mate, I think we should probably just have a little look back at the race as a whole mm. now and, and time to reflect, of course, uh, whether or not you know the first lap incident between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton coming into that uh, that corner was actually such a big deal and the angle that Lewis took to, to get him mm. down that third back straight, or well, second back straight, technically. Yes. Uh, it's just an interesting time, but it's just washed out incredibly, well, I was going to say incredibly well, but it was incredibly <laughs> well for Red Bull, uh, yes. uh, not really for anyone else.
1: It's incredible to think that I mean, I'd forgotten about that first lap overtake because who's talking about that? (laughs) (laughs) Of all the controversy around the stewarding or officiating of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, whether or not that was a fair defence by Lewis Hamilton or a fair overtake by Max Verstappen or attempted overtake by Max Verstappen seems thoroughly irrelevant because it completely overshadowed, of course, by what happened subsequent to that at the very end of the Grand Prix. I mean, for what it's worth, it doesn't... I mean, it almost doesn't really matter just to close off that overtake because, I mean, Lewis was so much faster at that phase of the race that... Okay, Max could always have defended, we know that. Sergio Perez is obviously capable of defending with worn tyres later on in the race, admittedly for only one and a half laps, but it doesn't feel that important. Lewis Lewis Hamilton's level of, of dominance of that race was almost absolute. Tragically, he wasn't quite dominant enough to make sure he wasn't vulnerable at the end of it. But, of course, the story – it is sad, isn't it? The story of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix is not really a sporting one. It mm. is an officiating one, an administrative one. It seems – and I say this not at all to diminish the accomplishments of Max Verstappen, but – he did win it by administrative error. <laughs> <laughs> he won it. He deserves it. Like let's, We should probably say that first of all, because yes. now you'll probably have several death threats waiting for you in your, your email inbox from, from people from the Netherlands. And you're much closer <laughs> to them now. You, they may actually <laughs> materialise. That's a very good point. There's nothing to say that Max does not deserve this title. Going into the last round, equal on point is all you need to know. Either would have been a worthy winner. Very thankful as well that neither of them weaponized their car in this race, despite mm. that first episode. That was not a bad one. That was just a bit of a where is the boundary of racing kind of thing. So either of them would have been worthy champions. But I only only say that because, I only say it's an administrative decision because really, and this is what we're here to talk about really, aren't we? But it seems like how the race concluded was outside of the scope of the regulations, which in my opinion does mean the result was... An administrative error.
0: Yeah, and it's it's almost a shame, isn't it, for Red Bull and for Max Verstappen to finish like that? And I think yes. you're absolutely right. I mean, Max Verstappen, 100% in my mind, deserves the mm-hmm. championship this year. However, Lewis Hamilton, 100% in my mind, deserved the victory at Abu Dhabi because yes. he was just so much faster. The whole Mercedes team was just on fire, well, except for Valtteri Bottas, mm-hmm. was on fire, <laughs> <laughs> poor VB, uh, yeah. for, for that whole time. And for that to be the case, and I, I know that many of you are both on the Box of Neutrals Discord and the Lakeside Drive Discord Mm. have been having very similar opinions. And and I know there's people who take both sides, and that's absolutely fine. And I think, I mean, a shout-out to both of these forums and and communities. You're very respectful to each other, Mm. and it's a good place to be, unlike F1 Twitter, which is (laughs) not so good, not so Mm. good at all. Don't use it. Don't go. No, don't even turn it on. But it's interesting how it's played out, and I think... And we'll talk about this absolutely in terms of the reaction from Mercedes and Red Bull Mm -hmm. and the FIA as well, who uh, admit to misunderstandings Mm. for the event, uh, when I think the overreach is pretty obvious, isn't it, in in terms of what they did?
1: Yes, and that is worth pointing out because, of course, we're not here to rehash what our previous podcasts have all done. If you want to hear all of our various opinions, you can, of course, go download Box of Neutrals, We can go download Lakeside Drive and get Rob and Campy and Tommy T's opinions (laughs) moderated by ourselves, of course. (laughs) Yes. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Uh, But what obviously things have happened transpired in the last week, in fact, only in the last couple of days, in terms of Mercedes dropping its intention to appeal, I think this is a really – it still feels really tense. I know it's tempting to think that – Now that they've dropped the appeal, they have a sort of... Well, it is an agreement, but it's not really uh, very specific that the FIA will investigate this matter and report back and there will be actions undertaken, clouded further by the fact the FIA now has a new president, which means that the agreement's secured uh, with John Todd. I mean, you can only assume the organisation will honour them, of course, but there will, of course, naturally be also changes in the way that the the governing body is administered. Now, it has a new man at, at the top of the tree, and this is... I know some people want to describe this as a crisis for Formula 1 and the FIA, that's probably a little bit extreme, but it's also not just another day. This is incredibly serious. While Max Verstappen is the champion, there'll be no taking that off him at all, nor should there even be an asterisk next to that. The fact that the premier motorsport title, global motorsport title, was decided by an apparent misreading or misunderstanding of the rules, not on the part of the teams or the fans, I hasten to add, unlike the way the FIA described it in their Backpedaling press release, I suppose we can say earlier Mm. in the week, that is an incredibly serious thing, and it does need more than just a cursory or a, a, a flip off of a flippant response from the FIA. I really do hope that this is done properly.
0: And I think we both agreed, didn't we, that uh, Mercedes pushing them for an investigation mm-hmm. and now we know, of course, that they haven't proceeded with that. But at least the pressure, the threat, mm-hmm. I suppose, of we are going to appeal this was enough for the FIA to make that decision. One thing that I wanted to, to sort of touch on before we get too far down this track, though, is the way in which Toto Wolf was acting towards Michael Massey during mm. that safety car period and whether or not it's right necessarily for team principals. understand there needs to be communications between the race director and the teams. Absolutely get that. But there should be a designated person and I don't think it should be the team principal uh, because as we transited Mm. through Singapore airport (laughs) and I walked past a group of people and all I heard was,
1: no, Michael! No, oh, Michael! <laughs> it was no. That is so not right. It's
0: just you know, I whilst it's <laughs> that part is hilarious and, yes. and happy to have that Great kind of content crap. in yes. in Singapore of all places, but. That, it sort of just doesn't really make it fair. And we know, mm. uh, and look, even on the Extreme E podcast, we've spoken to Scott Elkins in the past, who is a deputy race director and was a deputy race director for that Formula One event we, uh, we found out a couple of days ago as well. Not that we've had a chance to speak to him about it, nor probably will we, mm. but it's just an interesting insight, isn't it? Because I think that sort of, there's a lot going on for Michael Massey. Uh, and in that moment, have being shouted at by Toto Wolf isn't necessarily the best thing for him, is it?
1: Yeah, I think we, while we can't uh, guess what's going to appear in the recommendations of the report or whatever the report is going to find, we can't preempt the report's findings. I think it's fair to say the FIA will find. I mean, when anybody investigates itself, uh, dare I say, it is not uh, too cynical to say that they will find that there were mitigating circumstances if in fact things were done incorrectly if that's what the report finds fancy that <laughs> and I think one of them will be that the race director is being put under too much pressure by the teams this is let's not forget Michael Massey still relatively new to the job I don't think that's an excuse for any kind of behavior again not preempting the report but still relatively new to a job that really evolved with the man who held it in the past Charlie Whiting I thought it was I thought it was a little bit gross to be totally honest with you. The way Christian Horner invoked Charlie Whiting yeah. in Saudi Arabia, saying the sport missed him, I, un- I can understand where he was coming from from, a, from 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 heart, I guess, but I think he was really weaponizing that in a way that I, I found kind of uncomfortable. Yep, but. In that situation, Charlie Whiting had an authority that I don't think anyone will ever have again in Formula One because the rule book evolved with him. In many senses, he was Formula One. He was almost the spirit of Formula One. Michael Massey is not that. No one ever will be. Whether Michael Massey sticks around for longer, he's never going to become that over time. It's just not going to happen. But so as a result, when we have what is, let's not forget the tensest championship we've had arguably ever, Mm. certainly in, in decades. The pressure being applied by, by both teams was immense. Him having to deal not only with that, with these team principals shouting at him constantly through the race. Combine that with the fact that it was a safety incident at the end of the Grand Prix. We can't forget that. The only reason there was a safety car was because there was a safety incident to be responded to. That is his, his primary primary obligation. All of those stimuli combined with the fact that within five laps, there was going to be a champion decided is incredible pressure. You know, that is, that cannot be, for all the people who will be out there, you know, asking for Michael Massey's head, all those kind of things, there are arguments to be made for it. I I completely admit that. But that is is a pretty substantial mitigating circumstance. The fact that he was arguably, uh, the only two people under more pressure than him were were Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton at that point of the race, I would be inclined to argue. That should probably, that will probably be a finding in this report. But then subsequent to that, and this is what I think we both want answers to and and everyone does, is that how did the race director come to conclude that the way the safety car restart was undertaken – was in line with the rules I don't really buy the stewards conclusions after the race I don't think very many people do it seemed like a pretty ambitious reading of that article but that is what has to come out of it why was that decision made and was it acceptable that it was
0: it was very interesting listening back to all of the team radios and I did this yesterday uh, with a bit of time that we had and listening to all of the reactions Mm. of course Daniel Ricciardo uh, being at the very front of the queue of the drivers that weren't allowed to unlap themselves Mm. Um, and of course there was Lance Stroll and and him uh, in between Carlos signs and the ability to obviously get his third position, which he did anyway, but mm-hmm. listening to his radio was very interesting because he was like, What's going on? Like literally yeah. the team also had no idea. Like, oh uh and if this was the thing. La- the safety car will be in this lap, cars will not be unlapping mm-hmm. themselves. And then suddenly oh no cars will be unlapping themselves but only the the five between Lewis yes. and, and Max. And I think the the way that it all transpired so quickly it it just felt like and again, this is, this is the thing, the FIA is here for safety mm-hmm. and that's it. It just felt like there was an element of the entertainment side of Formula 1 in which Liberty has done an incredible job in the mm-hmm. last couple of years of building that up, really just entered the thought process, it seems, of Michael Massey in that moment with everything else for him to say this is what's going to happen. Now, look, arguably it was an interesting way of finishing the race well, up yeah. until about lap forty-five. Still I was about exceptionally now. bored and yeah. thought, well, Lewis will win, and you know there won't be much of a way of a conversation about it, and that sort of that's it. But everything that's happened since, I think, has been very interesting. Mm-hmm. It's worth also now mentioning Susie Wolff, who mm-hmm. uh, when she made her statement a couple of days ago uh, at eight forty-one a.m. on December sixteenth, <laughs> yeah. as I'm reading here on her tweet. That sort of was the moment, wasn't it, that you and I sort of said to each other, okay, well, this doesn't seem like Mercedes is actually going to properly appeal this, mm. and they've sent out the the harsh words with Susie rather than with anyone else.
1: Yeah, I, interesting decision that they've gone with Susie Wolf to say it. I guess that keeps some good faith, I suppose, a little bit with the FIA, although, I mean, it's pretty clear that Susie Wolfe being married to Toto Wolf, the words are not, I'm not saying they're not her words, I'm, I'm sure she absolutely does believe all those things, but you know, it, it's a little bit too close to completely disassociate it from, from the the entity that is Mercedes arguing here. And it's going to be Mercedes, after all, that's going to be keeping the FIA honest. They're going to be the only team that's really going to be pushing for this invest- investigation to be completed in a way that gets uh, fulsome results, meaningful results. I think it is worth just stepping back for a second on the uh, idea of what may be Michael Massey's motivations, though. The entertainment aspect is the one that a lot of people brought up. We don't know that for certain. Like, that's certainly not... I don't necessarily think it's fair to say that that was what he was thinking because we don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm confident that – well, again, I don't want to preempt the results, but I, I'm confident that what Michael Massey was looking to do was, was satisfy the expectations of the teams that we get a green flag finish mm-hmm. – that the championship is decided on track, of course, uh, and that he somehow find a way to make sure he can get that final lap of racing. I, I think it's fair to say very few people outside of Red Bull think that, that was an acceptable conclusion. But I, I, I think that it's difficult to say that he was doing it for an entertainment perspective. Like, in, in that... In that l- In that Netflix sense, because that's an argument that has been put several Mm. times in the last couple of weeks, I I think we shouldn't conflate the FIA with with Netflix in that way. But what I do think will be interesting to find, and this is why realistically this should be conducted by an outside body, not the FIA, is how close F1 and the FIA work. That's a matter not only for European law, but also just that – and this even goes back to the Belgian Grand Prix, for example – The FAA should not have an interest in the commercial outcomes of of the race. And there was no commercial outcome from Abu Dhabi. There was in Belgium. We all know that Mm. argument well. They need a certain number of laps. But you would never want, and I make no no accusations of this. I want to make this absolutely clear because I have no evidence of this and nor do I necessarily think there is any evidence of this. But the fact that there are enough people who have said, well, this seems like a bit of a made-for-TV thing. In fact, I think Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo said that. There should be an independent investigation to ensure that there is no bleed between F1, which is looking for a great spectacle, and the FIA, which is looking for a a sporting outcome. And I think it's fair to say what we didn't get was a sporting outcome. For those reasons that some drivers had their race taken away from them because they weren't allowed to unlap themselves when the people they were racing were allowed to unlap themselves. So that's one thing I I just want to make clear. Then looking at Mercedes' response, of course, it's clear they are very angry. They didn't turn up to the gala, right? Which I know seems very petty, and in a sense it is very petty, but... Only underlines how keenly they're feeling this. I feel bad for Valtteri Bottas, oh. who's been sacked by Mercedes, but to go as their representative. <laughs> I mean, at least he got to collect the constructors' trophy, I guess, on their behalf. I guess that's nice. I mean, it reinforces that he was integral to that. So I suppose I can see that. But you know, one last kick to Valtteri, bit of a slap. Maybe he didn't see it like that. Maybe he, maybe he thought it was a great time. I'm sure he had a great night. What else is he doing these days? But. <laughs> You know, I thought that was a bit unusual, but it, it is clear that they, they feel this pretty cleanly, and it must be a very difficult decision to drop the appeal, right? Because, mm. And I, and Toto Wolf said this, I mean, of course he would say this because it was his argument, but any court of law would yep. read the regulations and read their argument and say, I think the argument's pretty clear and probably would stand up. But it's that phrase, for the good of the sport, right? The last thing we wanted was to be in February for pre-season testing and this investigation ongoing.
0: Yeah, and I think I mean the, at the end of the day, the right decision is the the championship is decided on track, not in a mm, courtroom. Absolutely, months and months later, uh, especially as we go into a new season, new regulations. You know, we're just not sure what's going to happen. Uh, although I have the distinct feeling that Red Bull probably won't be as strong as they were this year because they <laughs> yeah, put all of their focus. Mm. Sounds familiar, doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's let. I know we're sort of going back again, but to Michael Massey, I think mm-hmm. with everyone calling for his head, I'm not sure I necessarily agree mm-hmm. with that sort of sentiment as well. Sure, there's been plenty of times, and Alexa Drive, everyone knows that Michael Massey is in Campy's bin. That's just where he <laughs> sort of resides for most of the time alongside Pierre Gasly. But for for Massey, and I suppose for the sport as a whole. The, the missing of Charlie Whiting absolutely mm-hmm. is significant. I agree with you in terms of the weaponising of, mm-hmm. you know, his memory was very much a, not a good thing at all. But there is a lot that Massey has got right this year as well. I mm-hmm. think that the bigger issue is with, you know, looking at the entertainment side of the sport, there's now a camera in race control. You know, mm-hmm. now we're hearing audio from race control between the teams and everyone else. So the, not only the pressure, but the awareness of the... <laughs> The neutral, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Simon. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, to you know that sort of awareness is is pretty interesting. But mm-hmm. for the sport as a whole, though, it still doesn't sit well with the the hardcore fans and it's certainly the people who listen to both of these podcasts. Mm-hmm. But even people who are new, that sort of drive to survive generation. know I've had a couple of conversations with people about that, and they just they feel like the goalposts were moved at the mm-hmm. very end. Uh, and I think that's just an interesting an interesting element to to how that plays out for everything else so for, for moving forward though it should Michael Massey lose his job I'm not so sure mm. will he lose his job as the sort of the sacrificial lamb under the new leadership of the FIA probably I think you know the reports that are coming out the pressure that is coming out even Toto Wolff has said you know it, it's almost not enough for Michael Massey mm. to lose his job or, or Maybe it's not him that's necessarily the problem, but the processes. And will we be able to see those results change or get a better understanding? Well, without this uh, inquiry, I suppose, from that Mercedes pushing it as hard as possible, then it's probably unlikely for us to see that when the FIA are marking their own homework.
1: Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I am probably inclined to in- agree with you largely because I'm I'm ne- I'd like to think I've never been the person who calls for people's jobs to be lost when mistakes are made massive though the mistake may have been again i'm fascinated to see the workings of Mm. race control at that point in time and therefore i also don't want to make that call before knowing exactly what happened because to me the, the call was really bizarre but there must be some kind of explanation and i'm not saying explanation that exonerates michael massey necessarily it may it may not but there must be more than just he decided to have Even if he decided there wasn't even really a good reason, there must still be a reason. The the thinking process is what I'm really interested in. I know there was a little bit of light shed on that in the stewards' decision after the race, but I'd really love to hear more about that. So I'm certainly not willing to sit here saying, oh, he's got to go, because I do think, as we've already said... There are at least some mitigating circumstances from the way the sport's set up. The FIA is also pretty under-resourced when you compare it to the teams. You know, the teams are huge. I mean, just for example, Mercedes brought a QC to the stewards' investigation, not even to the subsequent court appeal that never happened. To the stewards' investigation, you know, the FIA is just not set up to deal with what is now an immense amount of pressure that's being brought to bear on it when the title is as close as this. So that they are factors that I think will be found to be mitigating. And then you have to ask, and this is why I think I've never been someone to call for people to lose their jobs, but okay, you sack Michael Massey, you're bringing in someone who's also not officiated at Formula One. You know, Maybe you bring in Scott Elkins as the deputy or someone else who's been working in the deputy chair. And yes, they've got some experience, of course, running Formula One because they've been the deputy chair, but they're still going to go through a learning curve. So you do inevitably take a step back. If, for me, it would have to take some kind of bad faith action from race control to really say, okay, they've got to go. And I don't... I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I know Michael Massey, but I'd be very surprised if it was an action in bad faith from him because it just seems ridiculous. Uh, and that's, again, what the investigation needs to find. So, look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say he needs to lose his job. I think, that, I think the the only possible, the only acceptable response is for a really in-depth investigation. And, look, of course, Toto is very upset. He's lost one of the championships as a result of it. I can understand why he doesn't want to talk to Michael Massey. I can understand why some teams have have problems with him now or at least until they get the answers and I think that's fair enough but those answers need to be forthcoming because the sport will need to resume some faith with him to run properly but I think also there'll be need to be some structural changes because he just doesn't seem to have the support and race control to run it fairly or not run it fairly but run it uh, in a way that all teams can agree is is effective when the teams are actively pushing back against him in the way they are at the moment so I think it all just comes down to this review the review has to be thorough and we've got to wait and see if the FIA can deliver that because, of course, it's in their interest to make sure everything was cool. Yeah. Everything was not cool. <laughs> uh, but I wait and see how they uh, find that that was the case.
0: And look, at the end of the day, it's only going to benefit Formula One going mm. forward. And and as you say, look, it, it is... <laughs> It is a, it's a tough situation. There was a lot of pressures going on. You know, none of us, absolutely mm. none of us can presume to know exactly what was going through Michael Massey's head at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's not forget, with this two Australian podcasts, we really <laughs> should be getting that bias out and saying, no, it's good yes. to have an Australian race director. Mm. Um, one of the things that I liked, uh, and uh, shout out to, to Tierney for, for pushing yes. this to us yesterday, but uh, apparently the quip back at Toto Wolf by Michael Massey that we went motor racing was mm. something that Toto had said the yes. week before in South in Arabia to Michael as a a quip. So Mm. even under pressure he went full Australian and just had a bit of a quip.
1: And that's a good point as well which just highlights what we've already said that this isn't an incident in isolation. there has been a long season of a lot of tension points, right? And Michael Massey shouldn't be above scrutiny. No one ever should be because the sport can only run well when there's always scrutiny on the the people who are running it. But by that same token that doesn't mean he needs to lose his job or anything like that. Not necessarily. And we do have to recognise that there are these background tensions, right? Like, it's very easy to look at Toto Wolf's understandably anguished response in that race and then the slap back from Massey and go, wow, this seems a bit uncalled for. But... You know, these guys have been arguing for a very long time and mm. not always in bad faith. I don't mean it like that, but that's been the whole season. There's people complaining to the race director, to the technical delegate there as well. I mean, you only need to look at the number of technical clarifications that we made over the course of the year because that's th- this championship was fought as much off track as it was at all, as, as on it. That's all feeding into this. So it's not quite as clear cut as... The TV broadcast makes clear, and of course we can't forget as well, the TV broadcast doesn't include everything. There's a lot more information that we simply don't know, Mm. and only when we know it can we come to whatever the right conclusion will be.
0: The good thing I think as well is that uh, the Mercedes attitude towards Max Verstappen and Red Bull has been overwhelmingly positive. Whilst mm-hmm. you know they're they're very annoyed about what happened, they're not holding Max or Red Bull at all uh, to mm-hmm. you know to say well you know that's their fault. So they've said, and this is Susie's words, not the um, what's happened is is hard to comprehend and leaves me with a sick feeling. Not the losing, and not Max or Red Bull. They are deserving winners, and we always knew it was a strong possibility we may not win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's it's a good point. You know Max drove absolutely incredibly all Mm -hmm. year and certainly for the latter part of the season the Mercedes was the more dominant car so Mm -hmm. for him to go into that final round as the uh, leading the victories as well for the for season is fantastic. And, you know, let's not forget, uh, Nick Latifi is getting a free power yeah. of Red Bull. He's the real winner. Every year. Okay. Uh, and, you know, maybe he should get that sponsorship pulled across. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, Maybe you can join the junior talent pipeline. Who's Replace Lavazza with Red Bull. I feel like, yeah. not that I drink energy no. drinks, but I feel like that would be an uh, upsc- upsell. Probably more lucrative. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think that's right. And that's what's so uncomfortable about this whole situation. I remember thinking on the Monday and even the Tuesday afterwards that it's just annoying. Mm. Like, it's not even... Had, had Red Bull stolen the championship somehow, then at least that's sort of part of the the battle continues, you know. As much as, it, as still I, you wouldn't want to see it decided after the race, at least that's part of the sporting narrative, right? These guys going up against each other. But it's just a systemic failure in this race. All of a sudden, very suddenly, out of nowhere, literally the final lap of the race, final two laps of the race. And it's just uncomfortable. And so I can understand you, Mercedes being extremely frustrated, but also... It's weird to to not be angry at a rival, but the system. You know, mm. it's it's and that's what's so unusual about this, and that's why it's been such a delicate matter to negotiate. Obviously, that's why Mercedes has has responded by you know boycotting the gala and all those kind of things, at least with everyone except Valtteri Bottas, or Valtteri. It's it's just really unusual. It's not something we're used to in sport, really. It's not something we often see where this it seems like a a failure of the regulator, mm. and I think that's what it is. Regardless of what mm. the conclusion says, it, clearly it was, a, in my opinion, a failure of the regulator to apply the regulations. That's weird, and it is unfair because you can't take the championship back afterwards. You know, it was never a realistic option for Mercedes to win the title in the courtroom. Maybe a court would have ruled it. But that's, I mean, that, that would be the worst thing for Formula 1. After the championship we got, it would be the worst thing to have to have Max Verstappen hand back a trophy. Yeah. Um, because, again, he earned it. To go back to where we started this yes. podcast, how beautifully we can bring this full circle. Hmm. At the end of the day, he earned the title. Yep. Hamilton would have earned the title as well. But it's just something removed from the sporting arena that has, has led to it landing in his hands. And what do you do? Like, and, it is, and And you know what? At the very end of the day, annoying though it is, it's also just sport, like it. <laughs> like after that, we you know we spent nearly thirty minutes now arguing about this, the ins and outs of this this race and the meaningfulness of the title. So we should. I mean, we're sports podcasts; it's the whole point. But it is just sport at the end of the day. You know what, Hamilton? I'm sure he's he's gutted to lose his eighth, and Total Wolf is gutted for him, absolutely. Mm. But it's
0: just sport. Yeah. It's been an interesting end to the season, and uh, this is why we're doing this podcast. It almost feels like we had to get a little bit off of our chest yeah, in a lot a of ways. ways. Yes. Uh, and the discussions still continue, even around the extreme e paddock, just listening to some of the drivers and their takes on it as well, you know, who are professionals in their own right in different series talking mm. about Formula One. Uh, it just spreads all the way through. It's uh, it's very, very interesting. But look, thank you to you for listening. Uh, thank you. As I was listening. Line, <laughs> I was. Thank you to the three people who to Lakeside Drive <laughs> and the four people who listen yeah, to yes. Box of Neutrals. Hi, Mum. Uh, it's great to, great to have you all here. We almost made 10. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but look, have a great Christmas wherever you are. Yes. Uh, and I'm sure that both of these podcasts will be doing uh, a full year in review at some point in the mm. future. And we're so close to Christmas as it is. It's yes. uh, The content was was probably not worth doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, make sure you're subscribed to whichever podcast you prefer. Yes, do both. Um, no, you're not allowed to have both. Okay. You have to pick one. Yes, absolutely yes. both.
1: Why well, not? extremely e off track.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we finish with that. But yeah. please also listen to Extremely e Off Track. We've yes. been having a lot of fun over mm. here. Um, and I'll leave you with this very very important question to consider going into the Christmas season.
1: Why did Nissan call it the Qashqai? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Stay safe, stay well. As for Helmet Marco's mask tips. <laughs> we'll see you in 2022. <laughs> we'll see you then. Podcast Network.